what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. We just, he's sitting right here in front of us <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck. in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're, just, him. we're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paying the bill. Find out he hasn't been He's doing it right now, so <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear. Don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. There you go. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right, on to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine suticles. Yep. The best canine suticles. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're we pushing for him. It's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love She just Barbara. loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he it's does it. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club South Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got there. It's a great facility. Get in, check it out. He does all the the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. Yeah, he's got some cool artwork and stuff there. Check it out for sure. it's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have two. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, Check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. Taylor so thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> don't do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you bullfed. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of that, course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's, look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit pines over. <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barber de Groot. Amazing sugar mama. Love her. From the heart dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy hound dog boxes. Daniel Tropiano. Tropino. Dog clubs. Troppy Daniel. <laughs> Dog clubs. Australia. Yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. We're going to try a new format. I'm <laughs> just getting straight into it. Yep. We're going to do it. Because apparently there's some folks out there who just said, please try and keep the your introductory, personal... the personal waffle down because yep. we want to get right into okay, it. Okay, so, so we're into it. We're into it. Okay, here we go. So something funny happened yesterday in the mm. dog space. Yes. A lady who I don't know, but I am friends with, Alexandria Rice. Mm, likewise. Posted on Facebook, mm. things dog trainers hate to hear, question mark. Yes. And madness ensued. <laughs> there was like hundreds of- There's 212 of, comments 212 right comments, yes. And so credit where it's due, well done, Alexandria Rice. Yes. That's a- Great question to ask. And we're going to go through a couple of these answers, but also because it's a public post, she's posted that publicly mm-hmm. and everybody who's commented on that has done so publicly. So I don't feel like we're speaking out of school, engaging with some of this stuff. If we go into detail, we'll give people's names on who have said these things. Yes. Starting off. So things dog trainers hate to hear. Hit me with what yours is. Did you comment on this? No, I haven't commented haven't on, comment on that. I was just okay. scrolling yesterday and I just happened to see it. Like I said to you, I saw it and I thought, there's a lot of comments on this. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I opened the post up and had a look. There are things where I've been in conversations with people and think, oh, I really hate it when people say that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I really do hate, which is when I'm doing a lesson with somebody and they've got a dog that's a dangerous dog or a dog that's a biter or mm. a dog that's got aggression, then they want to hang around at the end where I've just done a really good lesson with them. We've finished on the high note, which we always talk about. The dog's done well. Mm-hmm. The catchphrase that I always talk to people about is our dog should finish a session feeling better at the end than it did when it arrived. Sure. That was something that was told to me a long time ago about just personal training, student training, and I emulate that with dogs as well. Before you carry on, do you agree that that is sort of what you're going for but not a blanket rule? There's times that where you want a dog to finish the session going like, oh, that didn't go well for me. You can't control everything within nature, and that's one of the things that I feel that all of us have come to terms with, especially myself. I've realised that there are things that I try and control and there are just things that I cannot mm-hmm. 
Overall, it's what the aim is, and overall I find that I have a high success rate with trying to do that. Most trainers worth their salt do. But there are times where it is a stressful session. Sometimes that's not bad because then the dog gets to go home and think on that as well Mm -hmm. and come back and realise, okay, I managed my stress, I didn't die, let's work on this again, and then hopefully that session, the next session, is the one where the dog does feel better about itself and realises there's a tipping point here where things can actually get better. Mm. But that's not the part I hate. The part I hate is when you're saying goodbye to each other and you're trying to hurry them out the door to get them to put the dog in the car, but then they want to flounder around and talk to you and fiddle and let the dog look at things and then other dog comes up and all of a sudden their dogs explode at it. And they go, oh, I didn't realise that was going to happen. It is a bugbear of mine. It's Mm -hmm. something that I go, oh, fuck. For sure. We just spent an hour in here combination of me and you talking, the dog working, or the dog just chilling at our feet while we're talking about it. And Mm. this is a dog that was represented to bite people or attack other dogs or both or whatever it was. The session ended nicely, about to walk out, and it just got blown by those type of things, especially where I am too. I mean, the high likelihood that there's going to be dogs out there. Even when we go to the effort of saying to people, please don't come up while I send this dog out, just give me five minutes and so forth. But because they're fiddling around in the car park so often, they've assumed that they've got the dog in the car, everything's gone well, or a client turns up with another dog, which is usually the case, mm-hmm. and then that unfolds. And it's unfortunate and, and it's something that I do hate. That is something actually that I'm working on a lot and I'm trying to find the way whether that fits into my new course as just bits and pieces as parts of other things or whether I'm going to create a specialized piece of content around, I'm not sure. But – I think that the majority of training happens in the space between the sessions Mm. and also within the session, really important things happen in the space between the reps. Yep. And one of the things that certainly I've seen plenty of times, you know, been on the receiving end of just observed it, been at seminars where it happens, private lessons, every situation you could think of is where you're working with someone on something and you go like, okay, so we've spent our hour together or our, you know, whatever you've purchased of your time and we're engaged, everything's good to go. And we're doing all the right things for the dog. And then when we go, okay, there endeth the session, mm. take the dog to the car, you've been working on leash skills or something like that. And then they just don't use any of those skills because the second <laughs> the session ended and they yeah. were really great and they were demonstrating it really well and they're showing a, a level of competence that you're happy with. And you go, yes. okay, sweet, let's put the dog away. Yep. And then they're like, okay, there endeth the session and they let the dog water ski them to the car. Mm. And the first thing I do whenever that happens, I look at my watch straight away and I'm like, can I restart this? Because that's one of the issues is, you know, if you've booked back-to-back sessions or something like that, like sometimes you just have to fucking swallow that up and go, okay, we'll talk about this next time. Or I look at my watch and I'm go, all right, no, stop. <laughs> like the session, the dog is never not learning. Our session has ended. Yes. And if you say to the dog for the 10 minutes, three times a day, like I've said to you to, this is how you work on the leash. You have to maintain those things outside of those sessions. The 100%. space between the sessions is yep. where the actual learning happens. Yeah. That's one of the things that well, I Well, it find. happens all the time. Learning totally. is ongoing. I mean, the observation that a dog or a child or even an adult does in any given situation, there is an education taking place. Totally. And I totally agree with you. In fact, it's one of the things that when we're doing NDTF training with the students quite a lot during the year, there was conversations where we, well, there's a skill that we teach them called social walking. We've talked on this before. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about social walking, we say this is like the universal application. Like this is something that it's an informal exercise. It just teaches a dog don't pull in the lead. Mm-hmm. Enjoy life. Enjoy the walk. Let's not be in conflict with each other. Just don't pull in the lead. That's it. 
When students go to get the dogs from the kennel, they're taking them back to the kennel. That's the rule. You get the dog, you social walk the dog from the kennel. If the dog's not social walking out of the kennel, it doesn't come until it does. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't come out the doors. They stay in there until the dog works out. I'm not never getting out of here until I relax and elite. We get this out of the way really quickly and then everybody gets to enjoy themselves. But I agree with you. When you see a client doing those sort of things, you think to yourself, oh, my heart just sunk. Mm. We've just been through this and they've been nodding their head. They're enthusiastic. They're empowered. They can't wait to do it. And you're right. They just go skiing off to the car and the yeah. dog thinks, fuck you. And it's a failure of our own. Like yeah. it is for sure. Like because every we probably that- should have set it up where we yeah. walk to the car with them. and it, said, Totally. I'm sure you have and I have. We've learned from those sort of things before. Where we've said, let's drill this now. Like mm-hmm. now that we've dry drilled this so much inside and now that we've gone through the theory and now that we've done it in a really – vacated environment, kind of like a giant Skinner box. Let's take it out and up the ante a little bit because now we're back in the real world and this is where the education portal begins again. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm. But you didn't answer the question. That's something that annoys you about clients, but things dog trainers hate to hear. What's the phrase that you hate to hear? He's never done that before. Okay. <laughs> the only reason I hate hearing it is because I nearly got bitten in the face by a dog when I was in Victoria there was a little Jack Russell. Mm -hmm. I looked at it and I said, is this dog okay? Are you sure this dog's okay? And they said, yeah, he's fine. What was the context that you met the dog under? He was coming in for his first day board and train. Okay. We'd been through on the phone because we didn't have internets and things like that. We had computers and stuff. You sent smoke signals to each other. Pretty much, yeah. We're rubbing sticks and doing all that sort of (laughs) stuff. But we're having a chat and I had his stat sheet because I always collect the statistics on the dog beforehand. So I was reading it through with him and saying, this is what you want to work on. This is what he's doing. Yes, yes, yes. They said, yeah, that's right. That's what we want to work on. And basically what I do is give them the foundations of what I expect is realistic in that time based on the dog's knowledge and so forth. And I said, it'll be within these parameters. Anyway, the dog's there. I'm chatting away to them and I said to them, is he fine with men? Oh, yeah, he's fine with men. You sure? And they said, yeah, why? And I said, he's just giving off a vibe to me. They said, no, no, he's fine. He's really good. We've got two sons and he has his friends around there all the time. And I said, He's still giving a vibe off to me. Let's take this slow. I just said, I'm just going to pop a slip lead on him and then you guys can unbuckle him and so forth. Before I got the slip lead on him, they unbuckled him Mm. and he's just come launching straight at my face. And I said, wow, everything that I was literally concerned about, everything I was literally concerned about, he just went ahead and did it anyway. And they said, oh, yeah, wow, he's never done that before. I said, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? And well, not to you. Yeah. And then the husband goes, oh, actually, no, there was one time. That's the one part that I hate about that conversation. He's never done that before, but there was one time. Uh-huh. I've heard that over three decades Yeah, where I've heard that saying not only to me but my colleagues and the people that work here and so forth where it is literally the linchpin for something to happen. Mm. And I saw a meme about it before where they said whenever somebody says he's never done that before, the dog's going to do that before like he's never done it before. Yeah, I think I've seen the same one. He says, watch him do it. Oh, I can't remember the exact. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. The words, it's yeah. the best meme ever. Do it because, like he's never not done it. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a brilliant meme that summarises the exact moment. Yeah, yeah. So that's my hate in the industry. He's never done that before. And I'm pretty sure it'll be populated in that list somewhere. Yeah, I'll be, I have, I've only had a quick glance through the comments. What's yours? I, have we covered yours? No, but I think we'll see yours for sure. And um, yours? Mine is without a doubt, he's protecting me. That's a good one. But I think the reason that's a problem 
when it comes up is it speaks to the difficulty in rectifying what's happening Mm. because people, maybe they've decided that the dog's protecting them because that's how they want to feel or maybe they, they, or maybe they truly think that like their observation, you know, like most people, including myself 20 years ago, I really couldn't tell the difference between a shitty nervous reactive dog versus a powerful protection dog. I agree. It's a very- Yeah. People who don't know dogs, bark, lunge, growl is bark, lunge, growl. There's various types of that is a very different thing, you know? That's a level of nuance that the average person doesn't have. But I think when people, when a dog is displaying a problematic behavior, especially an aggressive one, that would be what would prompt someone to say, he's protecting me. Mm is that I think that speaks to the nature of how they feel about what's happening. And that means it's going to be much more difficult to change what's happening with the dog if the person believes that the dog is doing it for a just reason or even, you know, romanticizes the reason that that it's happening. Mm. Because before we can even dream of addressing the issue with the dog, we first have to address the level of understanding and the, the reasoning and many things actually in the person. And that's going to be a very difficult conversation for a lot of people to sort of wrap their heads around because that can be a big conversation around fear and aggression and the realities of genetic predispositions as well as when we start getting into the dog is probably if you're acting like you need protecting then your dog is likely not protecting you it's reading off of your concern and is concerned itself absolutely right and is not actually protecting you it is concerned for its own safety and this dog will abandon you in a fucking heartbeat right like it's not going to actually protect you as well as like, that's, I think one of the things that I've certainly had to dance around that a few times and really be very careful in the way that you bring that information to a person. Oh, it's shattering to them. Like it's world crumbling to them to understand that their dog is a coward. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen those clips before? There's many of them that have circled around where there's police officers that are literally trying to throw their dog at people just to stop the dog from running away, to try and get the dog just to stop running and Mm. and actually engage in bites. These are clips that I've seen all over the world. That must be an absolutely harrowing moment is not only is this dog not going to do this, but both our lives are in considerable danger at the moment. I've been involved in those sort of things in security situations before where people have turned up on site. I remember Boyd and I were in a pretty significant high threat situation and a guy turned up with a with a Doberman and was claiming- Sorry, his, what breed was that again? It was a Doberman. A what, sorry? A Doberman. What kind of dog again? A Doberman. Okay, just, just so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> Furman's going to be shitting himself. (laughs) All the Doberman people, here come the emails. (laughs) I know. But in the early 90s when I started, I've worked with some pretty amazing Dobermans. Yeah, for sure. Some really. And there are amazing ones still. There are. And I do know, I'm not just trying to recover this conversation, but I have worked with some amazing dogs before where they were really, really creditable dogs. But this one wasn't. I remember Boyd and I talking to the guy and he goes, oh, no, I've trained with this guy. And Boyd goes, well, mate, I've got a sleeve. I want to test this dog out before we go any further because I can't have you on site putting anyone's lives at risk. This dog was just like screaming its lungs out. It wouldn't engage. It was running behind him and he's like, he's doing the same thing, trying to throw the dog forward. Boyd said, mate, just get back on the boat and go. Mm. You don't understand how high risk a situation. The guy goes, no, no, you don't understand, mate. It's just because it's a new area. And he goes, stop being a fucking idiot Mm. and a child and get back on the boat before I throw you on the boat. Mm. At the time it was very intense 
But he did the best thing for the guy because he was right. It was a very intense situation we're involved in. It was very hostile. The stakes were high. I was very concerned about my own personal being, as were everybody else was there. And to have that dog working next to us would have been an absolute calamity and probably would have ignited the situation. It's a very difficult conversation to have. When we started talking about this, I mean it in terms of pet dog owner when yep. they, you know, having issues with their nervous reactive dog or, or the dog is just barking at the mailman and mm. stuff like that. And they think the dog that it's protecting them. Yes. But both of us involved in protection work of many and various types from sports to real life type stuff and mm. have been for a long while. I've never had a, that conversation go particularly well. Right. Yes. Like, and there's very degrees of it. I remember the first time I had that conversation was with a guy I was in the army with and it did not go well. It was a tenuous friendship. We were colleagues, not yep. friends. The conversation did not go well. And it was that I was decoying and I saw the dog. Like, and I was like, man, I've seen something that you haven't seen. Like I've been at the pointy end of it. And we were both at a similar level of experience, you know? So neither of us were in a position to boss the other one around mm. and the same rank and stuff. And, but I just was like, mate, this dog's, it's a cur. It's not going to do what we want of it. Unfortunately, you know, he was emotionally attached to the dog, wanted it to be that. And the dog had the capacity to look like it was incredible. Yeah. It was never going to bite for real. What was the problem was that we eventually had to show him that, you know, we had to create a situation that seemed real enough to the dog. Another guy was prepared. He was like, mate, I'm so sure of this that I'm going to risk the live bite. The hell I'll die on. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm mm. going to risk the bite. Send the dog to bite me. We'll, yep. we'll create any kind of situation that you want. Send the dog to bite me. It's not going to happen. That's exactly what happened. It nipped him. Like it did the sort of muzzle punched him a little bit and then went into the bark and hold around him. Yep. There's an ego thing involved in that as well. That just never needs to be there. This is, And this is one of the things that I've had this conversation so many times with people and I feel it really deep in my bones is like there is zero of my genetics in any dog, mm. right? Like – it's not a representation of you. Like now if well, you're that's a breeder, what they feel it is and that's the issue. For sure, yeah, for sure. That, I think when you get into the nuts and bolts of the conversation, yeah. a lot of times when we have dogs ourselves, we take the dog on as an extension of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It becomes a part of our personality and our world. And that's where I have seen people really struggle with this and have a lot of difficulty with this is they represent themselves as we're a team. Yeah. Like I'm a half and the dog's a half. Yeah. You would have seen it as well. And I'm for sure. I'm, I'm sure that that would have flagged in this situation. But I think it's a really interesting thing because I understand it when breeders have a fair amount of kennel blindness on their dogs. Like yes. it's very frustrating. It's annoying. It's a pain in the ass, but I get it. I, yep. I get it because especially you can like a particular type of dog, you know, not just a breed, you know, talking Dobermans. Like there's people who are diehard Doberman people. And I get it, like it's your breed, you've died in the wool for it, but at some point you've got to go like, well, the breed has changed over time. Like yourself with Roddies, for mm. example, right? Like you are a Roddy guy, you have been your whole life. But I've seen it's, the change, I understand yeah, that's the it. change. And you speak openly about it yeah. and you speak objectively about the dogs that you have and mm. have had. And I think that's rare. Mm. That's not a common thing. For the most part, people like they tend to get emotionally attached to the dog, which is great. You should. Of course mm. you should be emotionally attached to the dog. But if you're going to rely on the dog for anything, you have to be objective about the dog's capability to do the things that you're relying on, it, especially when your safety is in question. Absolutely. And, and this is why and even others, though- Totally. More so. Yeah. And this is like, there's a responsibility in that in training. Like, yep. And for me, it's one of the reasons why I talk about it all the time. I don't like to work in detection. Like mm -hmm. now I've trained with plenty of detection people and I can 
assist in the training of detection dogs and I can help problem solve issues, but I never advertise myself as a detection guy. Now I've worked for parts of the army that only have detection dogs and I've given them bits and pieces that I can help with, but I don't want to immerse myself in that space, especially in explosive detection. That's like the most high risk thing. It is. And it's always comes with such a high degree of responsibility. I agree with you. I call explosive detection the tip of the spear Yeah, because it really is the most dangerous. I mean, narcotics is another terrible one. I mean, narcotics kill more people than explosives do. Yeah. Look, they're on par with each other. Let me just say that they're on par with each other because for the, all the men and women involved in narcotics out there and have to see all those men, women and children suffering from overdose and kids being born from dependencies yeah. from their parents taking it, it's terrible. Both those things scare the shit out of me, to be honest, and yeah. I I never take it lightly. And we always have some very good – fortunately, the people that I work with and the people that I've done small amounts of work with in that field, they're good people, they understand. They're professionals in their field, they understand the responsibilities that come with that job. And I fear for them because it's not me working on that hallowed ground. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like there are things that you always need to be making sure you're upping your game, you're knowing the most recent information and you're working with people who know the most recent information. Hence why having Cameron Ford over here is fantastic because he immerses himself in the modern sciences. He's around people who work in some of the highest degrees of scent detection and he's just, like I said, reusing the word, He's very immersive in that type of field. Again, all I'm saying is a long-winded, I agree with you. Yeah, and, and I think, <laughs> well, like for me, my hesitation on explosives is I've been blown up. I was the only survivor of an IED that killed my interpreter and a couple of teammates. Yep. The dog went over it. Like yep. that's what I mean is for sure there's times that dogs fail in their jobs because they just weren't either trained correctly or the dog wasn't suitable. And I'm not saying that of that dog. That's why I like the biting stuff. Because I usually say to people, like, you can rely on this dog to an extent, no matter how good the dog is. Yeah. But don't, for one moment, think that all bases are covered. Like, mm. you still need to be ready. And I think in the biting dog space, like, this is one of the things when you see it, it's so traumatic. And, and I'm glad that it's never happened to me. And touch wood, it, I'm never in a situation where it would. And I can't imagine that my life ever leads me to. But having a failed deployment of a dog is that you see people get carried away and focused inward on the problem with the dog. And what I've coached many, many people through the time is if you have a failed deployment, now you should be doing all the things that avoid that happening. But the moment the dog fails, abandon that fucking dog and deal with the situation. Like don't try and do dog training when you need to be fighting. Absolutely. Like, because that's what you kind of see all the time is as you're saying, you see people trying to like force the the dog dog and and get the dog involved. To be honest, the big risk is there's a threat and it's not being dealt with, but you could make the dog a threat on you because the other person is an unknown quantity. You are a known quantity for the dog and the dog is more likely, if you're trying to force the dog to bite someone, it's way more likely to bite you than them. There's a skill set in martial arts when you're a single person in combat with multiple objectives, like if you've got multiple people. One of the guys that I trained with ages ago and he was former soldier and everything like that. And he was a fantastic fighter, fantastic martial artist early in the days before it was really cool to do it. He used to emphasize and stress to us. He said, guys, if you get in a fight, like a real fight, he said, let's not talk about dojo fights because he said they're not real fights. And he said, we practice here. We do it safe. We do all the right sort of stuff. And he said, but if you're in a real fight, he said, if you're lucky enough to subdue one of the two people, if you can't get out of the fight, focus on the other guy. The other guy will be coming in and doing mass damage to you. And he said, 
if you've got this guy and you've managed to pin him or subdue him, focus then on the other guy and then work on stopping him because otherwise you're fucked. Mm. He goes, the minute you turn your focus inward and just focus on this one person, he said, you're going to get the beat down of your life. And I said, has it happened to you before? And he said, oh, hell yeah. In my early days, in real time, when I was deployed, he goes, I got into an unfortunate situation where it nearly cost me my life. He Mm. goes, had it not been that somebody else was there and dealt with the issue for me, I would have died on the spot. Mm. So it's only through experience that I know what I'm talking about and can lead you into resolving a situation. He said, but just be smart. Don't put yourself in those fucking situations. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to tell people with dogs as well. Like same sort of thing. If the dog wants to run away and there's a fight that you're not going to get out of because you run around trying to control your dog, don't worry about that situation. Worry about the one that's right there in front of you because you're fucked. It's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. We're a little bit off topic, but yes. Certainly I've had numerous versions of that conversation and there's a real spectrum of how people take it. And some people Mm. take it really well and and thank you. And you can see they're never happy to hear it, but maybe you see something that they don't. And one of the things Not at the time. Not at the time. Right at the time, it's a very raw wound. Yeah. But if the person is decent and they have a deep thinking mind, they will come back to you and saying, that was one of the best lessons I've ever had. Yeah. I didn't need it at the time, but I needed it now. Yeah. And usually the problems that you face are from people who it's their first dog. Mm. Because most people who have had a dog that does well and deploys well and all of that they can see when another dog isn't going to. And for people like you and I and other dog trainers who are the the people who will help prepare those kind of dogs for people who will use them on the street, the handler, you know, I've seen thousands of those dogs. Mm. I don't know how many I've seen. Like, I, you know, in, in all the dogs I've enough. had through my hands, I've had it. Yeah. It, You've it, seen enough. Enough that yeah. I can get a pretty good gauge on whether a dog's going to engage or not. And, yep. and, of course, there's a huge training liability in that. Like, that's a, you know, very few dogs are going to bite people, even dogs who are theoretically genetically predisposed to it. Very few dogs are going to bite people the way that we want them to unless Mm. they're trained appropriately and all the progressions in training and all of the equipment, you know, shedding and all of the drills that are required to go through all of that. First of all, a lot of people don't do that stuff. So then you can have that conversation about, hey, because of your training, this isn't going to go the way that you think it's going to go, but that's easy because we can just do the training. We can, yep. like, the dog is a, a living, breathing, learning thing. You can learn, yeah. It's yeah. a schooling moment. We can, yeah. You know, there, there's a there's a path here to making sure this happens. But in other instances, it's just like, hey, it's not going to happen. Mm. And, and the worst that I ever had. And, well, that's and, why you've got selection at Special Forces, right? Exactly, mm. right? But the worst I've ever had, and I still feel bad about this, so I won't give too many details, was I was at a training day. It was in the, it was in the US, so, and I was just a a number there. I was a decoy. I wasn't there to train. I wasn't there to teach anything. I wasn't, you know, I was just a decoy. This guy was talking about how he hadn't had any bites with his dog, but he had successfully called the dog off. It came up in this conversation when we're talking about call offs and all that kind of stuff. And he had sent his dog to bite someone. He had deployed the dog from the car on the way down. The guy had surrendered and put his hands up and stopped completely. And he gave the dog a, like a disengage command. And the dog, when it didn't recall the way that he had hoped and trained for, but the dog did not bite and went into kind of a bark and hold on the guy. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's interesting. And then when I saw the dog, I, I knew immediately, I was like, Oh, that dog was, you didn't call him off. He was never going to bite. Mm. And I was very junior. I was very new. That was just my opinion. You know, I could never know for sure. But I spoke to the really senior guy there and was like, hey, what happens now? Because like this guy's just told us all this story about how he called his dog off. I just worked the dog. Like it was hard enough to keep it on the grip in my suit. You know what I mean? Like, and this is his operational police dog. Where do we go from here? And this guy was no help. He was just like, no, dog's fine. And I was like, oh, fuck. 
You don't know either. So you've just brought up another thing that I hate professionally is when the entire company protects the dog. Yeah, well, this wasn't – so this but guy – that's happened. I've y- seen that yeah. in situations where the entire company will rally around yep. an inefficient dog because they've been inefficient in raising and training yeah, the dog. Yeah, yeah, everybody's covering the same – Right. Yeah, they're all covering the yep. same lie. Yeah, totally. But this wasn't that, and I feel bad because I then said, well, okay, like I guess you guys know more than me, and I didn't say anything to the guy, and that has fucking weighed on me. That was a long time. That was eight years ago. Do you think it would have made a difference if you did? Yeah, well, maybe. Like, I don't know what happened to that guy. I was there for that week. I did a bunch of stuff with them. I was just a decoy. I got blasted a bunch of times. That was it, right? Mm. And I wonder from time to time, like, fuck, I hope I didn't get that guy killed. You know, like yeah, I hope yeah, that yeah. I hope I didn't put him in a position. And I sort of intimated to him, you know, I asked a lot of the sort of probing questions, and I think that I planted a seed of doubt into his mind. It was before we had the podcast. I was nobody to anybody, you know. I was just there, the guy getting bitten, some random Australian guy, you know, like it meant nothing. I don't know how that conversation would have went. I was probably the cur in all of this for not having that conversation and I would never do that again. Like it it was just that I didn't know my place and thought, well, it's better to keep my mouth shut. And now like- Very hard. Those situations are very, very hard. But now I firmly put myself into the category of like, if I don't think a dog will engage, like I've had that conversation so many times now Mm. that I'm much more skilled at it and I would never miss the opportunity to have it again. Like it's a a super difficult conversation. I never want to have it again. I hope I never have, have to have it again but I would never back away from it like I did then. I yeah. massively regret that because, like I say, I don't know that guy's name. It's eight years ago. The dog's probably dead by now because it was an, it was a, at least a three- or four-year-old dog when I saw him. Uh, it's certainly not working the street anymore, mm. but I don't know if and when it ever did fail him. Hopefully it fucking wasn't too catastrophic for him or someone else. You know? Yeah, I agree. Well, now that we've got that very serious side out of it, should we read through some of the comments on yeah. Alexandria's Yeah. Uh, but before we do, what I wanted to sort of round out saying was that's why I hate it so much and not in a funny way because I'm sure we're about to see a lot of funny things we can laugh about, but I mm. wanted to get the serious side out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, and that is, was a very good point because I'm in parallel with the way that you're thinking about that. Yeah. There's some really concerning and daunting things that get covered over or glossed over all in the name of trying to save face. Yeah. It doesn't save face. It gets somebody injured. It gets somebody killed. Yeah. Or it gets a dog killed. But in pet dog terms, when somebody thinks that their nervous reactive dog is protecting them, that part of that conversation that has to happen before you can even discuss how to fix the issue with the dog has to be like, no, he's not protecting you. So first of all, never rely on that. Like don't for one second Mm. think that this dog's going to protect you because it's not. But also the emotional driver of this behavior is not what you think it is. Yeah. It is not what you think it is at all. And the worst one, this makes it even more difficult, is when the dog is protecting them. And it's because the dog's a fucking resource guarder and the dog sees them as a resource. (laughs) And like I've had that conversation multiple times with people who are like, oh, he's just protecting me. I'm like, he's protecting you from other dogs. Like there is no threat from this Labrador that is just (laughs) casually walking over and is like, you know, just like, hey, friend, would you like to pat me? The dog is guarding its resource (laughs) and it sees you as its resource. And like that's every blue cattle dog I've ever 
fucking engaged with, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's the constant recurring theme. And in many instances, most people, when you sort of explain it like that, they're like, wait, so my dog's an asshole. Then you have to ha- dance around this conversation of like a little bit. Yeah. He sees you as his possession. First of all, we have to deal with the behavioral side of that, but we have to change the way you live with this dog completely mm. because he literally sees you as his. Like he thinks that he owns you and is not allowing you to interact with other people. That's a house of cards that crumbles pretty quick when people think, oh, he's protecting me to like, no, he thinks he possesses you. Yeah, he's like, dangerous <laughs> around you. Yeah, mm. That's a yeah, he's uncontrollable. There is happening. no control. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, whenever somebody says the dog's protecting me, I'm like, oh God. Here we I, go. I hope that it's a Malinois or a Dutchie or a Shepherd or something, and you've been doing a lot of protection work. And then I can say, yes, he's protecting you. Right. Yep. But likely, no, he's nervous or he's a resource guarder. <laughs> well, here's one. He's friendly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was literally the conversation that I started mine off when yeah. that person assumed that their dog was okay and nearly like, I mean, if I hadn't had quick reflexes, I probably would have lost the front of my face. Mm. The dog came at me with that much intent and it says underneath in asterisks, not, not actually. actually. Yeah, That is the case. And again, you've had a very good description on people's inability to read situations and understand the behavior of their dog and what the dog's actually feeling at the time. It is a curly one I find not only for dogs, but for people as well is when they assume the mental state of another person or a dog without Mm. actually knowing how they feel. Mm. We've confessed before that once we see behavior, we get a good idea of where you're heading down. Mm -hmm. Like your behavior usually indicates where you're going to go. Your behavior is likely driven by the emotion that you're in. Exactly. But the emotions that are welling up inside of you, like if you're a stoic sort of person, but you're feeling things on the inside, I did this yesterday. I had a lesson with an aggressive dog and I was saying to the person, think of a number between one and a hundred. And they go, what are we doing this for? I said, just humor me. And they said, all right, got a number. And I said, all right, are you thinking of 52? And they said, oh, close, 59. I said, but it wasn't 52. And they said, right. And I said, all right, let's do it again. Number between one and a hundred. And I said, I'm thinking 70. And they said, no, it's 40. And I said, so as much as I would like to read your mind and guess how you're feeling or what you're thinking or the numbers that you've got, I can't do it. And I've Mm. been trying to do this since I've been a kid. I said, trust me, I've been working hard on this. I said, but I can't manifest anything that's inside your head. But if you go and write it down on a board, I can see it, you know, like it's behavior. I can actually see you doing it. Or if you tell it to somebody and overhear it, I'll know what it is because it's a behavior. I heard you actually doing it. And I said, I can do the same sort of things with dogs, but I can't fucking get into their head and just guess their mental state. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people do. They make these silly assumptions that their dog is thinking away, but it's really the way that you're thinking and you're projecting your thoughts and feelings onto the dog. Mm. So you think, oh, I kind of know you, so I'm, I'm going to answer for you. No, the fuck you're not. That's how people end up getting bitten by other people's dogs because you're projecting, again, your thoughts and feelings on yep. how the dog is manifesting. But it's not. It's not. It's completely unrelated to what's actually going on. And most times because you're not a dog trainer, because you're not skilled in behavior, because you don't know anything about behavior, doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm not attacking your character. But what I am saying is because you haven't got no skills and traits in those areas, you're likely to get it very, very wrong. Mm. And people will get bitten in those cases. People do get bitten in those cases. And that's why council people get so pissed off and they get so jacked and they are so 
staunch when they come to your doors because they're realizing I'm probably going to deal with that same type of personal again that I've just dealt with eight times already today where they'll come in and say, no, my dog's fine. He's fine. He's never bitten anyone before. And then they end up getting nailed or the kid next door gets nailed. Mm. And we deal with a lot of it. Reactivity and aggression is through the roof at the moment. And yeah, yeah I think COVID's got something to do with it. But there's a lot of work in that area right now. Like oh if you're, God, if you're looking for work, aggression and reactivity is on the massive rise. Yeah, without doubt. We can literally fill our days now with aggression and reactivity issues. Yeah. It's getting to a stage where we really have to assess the capability and competency of having dogs in with some of our staff at the moment because the dogs are so bad. That's been a long time since that ever happened. There's a run of that now where we're concerned our staff won't be able to manage these dogs like they're so dangerous and so unpredictable that, yes, okay, it might be okay in a training situation but not for, you know, general boarding with young ladies that are going in to feed and clean up after these dogs. And these dogs are on a hair trigger. I've been thinking about that quite a bit actually because with all the many and various apps – a lot of people when they're traveling now are using pet sitter things. There's so many With of even those. far less experienced yeah, people. But those people can't handle a, a dangerous dog in any way because a lot of those, uh, I mean, of course there's people who are great at it, yep. but the majority of those people are just like, oh, here's some extra bucks or, yeah, or so I've got friends that do university it. University kid that yeah, is just doing like it on the side. Free accommodation, right? Yep. Like it's just a place to live. Mm. And so the dangerous dogs, the dogs that uh, aren't suitable for that, I'm sure you are seeing already an uptake are. because we already are. they're the dogs that are coming into the kennels. And so I imagine, and I'd love to hear what your actual experience of this is, is that you're going to see less and less of the easy dogs and more and more of the more, more difficult it's dogs. Yeah. It's, it's not happening, it's happened. Yeah, and so you're, these are not dogs that are coming to you for training either. Like the people have just in management forever, they're just like, well, I have an asshole dog and the dog's probably four or five and they decide they're going on their ski trip and the dog's got to go somewhere and so it comes to you guys here and so it's a – it's a three to five-year-old dog that's got three to five years of reinforcement in mm. the problematic behaviors that it's got, which means you know, you're not charging for a training plan and the management and the, you know, the level of care that goes into training and, and rectifying that issue, but your staff still have to actually do that to be safe well, around the Well, the trainers dog. deal with it. So what we do is if those dogs come in and we assess them that they can't come in because of their general demeanor, we flip them immediately to training. Right. And then the trainers assess whether or not it's logistically capable of taking this dog in without them getting tuned up. Mm -hmm. Because the last thing I want to do is have a, a kennel attendant tuned up or a trainer tuned up for the job, Mm -hmm. you know, for making a couple of extra bucks. So there are times where Andrew and I will go and have a look at the dog and there's dogs that we've just had to turn away and just Mm -hmm. say, look, it's not suitable to come in the kennel environment. Yes, we can do some lessons with you with the dog. That's fine. We can funnel it into there. Like we're not in the business to turn away business. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. nobody is. We're all put milk and bread on the table with these jobs. But there are times where we've just said, I'm sorry, mm. it's not suitable in any application. Like the dog is that dangerous. You have to make some decisions here on where you're going to go with it. There have been dogs that unfortunately I've had to turn them into medication because I've just said this dog's way too dangerous. Like mm. it, it needs to behaviorally be seen and be brought down a couple of pegs because it really is totally unacceptable to take this dog or to try and train it or to put one of my staff in this situation. And I said, even I'm feeling a little curly about this one. So Mm. 
some processes need to be in place before we go any further here. But that's my responsibility to my staff and to myself. You know, like I have to exercise some self-care along with them as well and not to put ourselves in situations. Seriously, for me, it's not an ego thing. I don't have to solve all the world's crises at once. If it's a situation where it can't be handled, it's not to say that I won't funnel it off to somebody else as well. And I've done that before. I've said, go and see my colleague, see what they think even as a second opinion, just to see what they think. The news either comes back, yep, they can work with it, or we agree with you, it's no good, you know, and those sort of situations. Again, they're hard ones, mate. They're really difficult ones. It doesn't do you any favours as a business sometimes because then people get on social media and then they'll start shit-mouthing you and say, oh, they turned away my lovely dog. And nobody else sees any imagery or footage of what that lovely dog is like. Yeah. Because if you were to show them, then once again, that's professional suicide. Well, and that's the issue as well as like, especially with social media and stuff like that. Sometimes I get really, it's hard to know what's the right avenue. This is why I loved when we owned the tattoo shop, right? Because Mm. the tattoo shop, the social media, we used to just fucking abuse people because that's the vibe of a tattoo shop, right? So when we had people complain about stuff, we'd we'd abuse the shit out of them. So like we had one guy, I think I've spoken about this in the podcast, like Mm. he sent in this imagery that he wanted done. It was an obscure Nazi symbol, but it wasn't one that was well known, right? And so he was emailing back and forth with one of the artists about this is what I want. And then she's drawing it. And somebody in the shop was like, are you going to fucking tattoo that on him? And she's like, yeah, why? And then she goes, you know, that's a Nazi symbol, right? And was like, no, because it wasn't like a swastika. It was one of them, like it was a unit of a an SS brand, right. like whatever. So it was a more obscure thing. It was probably like the double S's or something. No, like no, that. it wasn't even that. It was mm. something very strange. Anyway, so they looked it up, showed it and was like, oh, cool. So this chick wrote back to the guy and was like, hey, I'm not going to do this tattoo. Like here's all the concept art that I've done, but I'm not doing that. Mm. And you go somewhere else. So the guy gets on Google and starts like carrying on about like leaves a one star review and puts his whole thing. So we smashed him. We just fucking wrote like, <laughs> hey, mate, we don't fucking like Nazis. Like yep. simple as that. We're not going to tattoo the fucking most horrific thing imaginable on you fuck off and like you could get away with that yeah and it was great every when people would complain we had like this (laughs) and people would support you they go yeah yeah, that's just they love it jerk off get out of here exactly and so it was never like it was not like we had a real problem and someone was like hey you got a bad infection and that never happened and we were like fuck you you didn't take care of your tattoo (laughs) but it was when people would just be dicks online we'd smash them because you could get away with that right but you can't do that in real businesses, right, outside of the tattoo world. I don't know what other business you can get away with. Certainly I usually can do a level of that because I only represent myself, mm. right, like for my own business. But what you want to say to people when they're like, oh, I wouldn't take my dog is like, let me just tell you about the reality of taking your dog, what that would look like because your dog's super dangerous. It's going to be an extremely high-stress environment for that dog being in a kennel full of all these other dogs. No one's going to be able to attend to that dog. So he's going to be in a double-stage kennel where nobody can go in there with him and he's going to feed in one and shit in there and then we're going to feed him in the other side and move over while we clean the other side and that's going to be his life for the length that you're gone. He's not going to eat properly. He's not going to sleep properly. He's going to be stressed out of his fucking mind and when you come pick him up, he's going to be a wreck. Mm. So that's why we don't want your dog in our kennel because it is not good for the dog. It is not good for you. It is not good for anybody involved. And I struggle sometimes between whether you just have to like turn the other cheek on social media and be like, okay, well, you say what you want to say, 
versus cutting people down and going like, this is why. And we told you this to your face, mm. right? Here's the reality of it. Don't try and make up some bullshit because people love these days to make up bullshit and carry on like they're the victim. There's currency in being a victim oh, in victim, 2023. Oh, victim being, yeah, as you said, being a victim is just amazing for some people. Like finally it's the close. Here's my chance. It's Here's my chance. Yeah. I, I'm seen finally. Yeah. All the obscurity that I've been dealing with my life, all I had to do is become a victim and yeah. people are suddenly paying attention attention to yeah, me. Watch me now ship me out this kennel online. Yep. Right. <sighs> Aren't but- they disgusting? The, the cancel culture, the way that I relate them is when people like could be innocent people who were tormented and tortured and killed by being disemboweled, hanged or guillotined or whatever. And there was a crowd of people just throwing cheering. stones and cheering <laughs> and like loving the fact that they, that they had no idea what this person did. The crown could have just said, this person's a bad person. They've Usurper. done this. Yeah. Nobody would look into it. Nobody yeah. would ever say. Well, how could you? Well, you, that's but, the thing. But that's what happens with cancel culture online. Yeah, yeah. Like nobody really stops to say, like there's been times where you and I have had conversations and I've been steamed up about something and you've said, well, why don't you stop and ask yourself a few questions about this first and let's look into it and go into the layers of it. And I've done so and I've thought, you're right. There was cause and effect to do that. But the council culture people aren't doing that. They're just flooding themselves with euphoria on trying to knock someone over. Mm. Nobody's asking a question. You can just get some complete fucking nutbag psychopath who has drummed up a whole bunch of shit about somebody and because it sounds reasonable, people will just go, yeah, let's kill them. Mm. Let's just take them out. Let's destroy their profession. Let's harass their family. Let's go after their friends and colleagues online. Mm. Let's do everything we possibly can. Let's find everything that they've done in the future and let's just dog them to the point where they don't even want to live anymore. That's the madness of crowds. That's the madness of crowds. That's a great book too. Yeah, well, mm. that's all of it. It summarises it beautifully. Hey, I remember he's back. Yes, do that. Because um, his first topic, oh, he's friendly. Yeah. I think one of the things that I think one of the reasons why dog trainers sort of get antsy about that he's friendly mm. because no dogs are really like, especially with other dogs, right? Cause that's where you hear that, right? It's usually when you've got a problem dog and you're saying like, Hey, keep him back. And people are like, no, don't worry. He's friendly. And I've even got a whole joke about that with a thing that I teach, but it, the problem is I don't really think too many dogs are really friendly with other dogs, right? Like they're trying to cause an effect, like they're pushing buttons and they're trying to promote something. Now it might be that they want to play, but friendly to like a, a, in human terms, like when we say that, that sort of carries a connotation that I don't think a dog is even really capable of. Like a friendly dog, if you were to describe someone as friendly would mean like, you know, a person, if you were to say, oh, he's a friendly person would be, he's cooperative, he's engaging, he goes along with what you want, he's not going to get in the way, like he's not going to cause you problems. Yeah. But there's so few dogs that are going to approach another dog that you could describe as friendly. Because if they were truly friendly in the same equivalent to a dog, they wouldn't be approaching another dog on leash. It's certainly not in the way that a dog that is running over would. Social like, is a better word for yeah, it. Yeah, but say like Remy, for example, he's a great example. Remy seemingly has no capacity for dog aggression, right? Mm. Like I've never seen him get in a fight. And when I had Richard, one of the black Mallies at my place with him, they were very, you know, like their personalities are very similar and both of them had no capacity for dog aggression but were both quite like staunch of each other. So mm. they basically just pot- – I've got so much footage of them just posturing like you're going to have to throw the first punch, mate, because I don't know how to end, right? <laughs> and in the end they just ended up kind of humping each other and taking it 
respective turds because neither of them, they were both what most people would describe friendly dogs as, as they're actually antagonists. Mm. They love to go over and push the buttons of other dogs. And Remy knows where to stop because they the other dog- on arousal. Yeah, but given the opportunity in a vacuum with another dog, he will annoy that fucking dog until it attacks him. And yeah. then he'll be like, okay, now I know, right? And then he'll be like, I found my limit. Mm. So like he's not aggressive in any way, shape or form, but by fuck he's not friendly. Like he is an antagonist. Mm. He loves to piss off other dogs. He likes to make other dogs uncomfortable. He likes to push all the buttons and find out where the limits are. And then he's like, okay, I found it, mm. right? I obviously don't allow him to do that, but in a confined space with another dog, that's what he'll do. And I think for the most part, when people are saying, don't worry, he's friendly, that's what they don't realize is what's going to happen. When you're, especially when you're dealing with a problematic dog that you're trying to train and you're in public for whatever, you know, like the situation unfolds where the other dog's coming and you're like, hey, keep that dog away. And they say, don't worry, he's friendly. It's not just that that's going to interrupt your training. I think one of the reasons at a deeper level dog trainers get pissed off about that is they're like, he's not friendly. He's coming over here to cause me a fucking issue. Mm. And if he were friendly, like Valerie, I would describe as being a friendly dog because she doesn't fuck around with other dogs. She's like, if we're going to get along, we'll get along. But I have no interest in you, right? Like a person that is constantly walking up to others and getting their face in, like running up to other people, you would never describe that person as friendly. Have you seen those crowds of people where they do like slam dancing where they run into each other and they swing their fists yeah, yeah. around and if you yeah. get in their way, you get hit in the head. Yeah. And, and people go, oh, well, you know, I kind of had that coming because yeah, I was know, in the crowd. I was in the crowd. Well, that's what watching a socialization session with dogs is like. <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're jumping at each other. They're like biting and nipping and kicking each other and, yeah. you know, like running around and barking and all those sort of things. So it's very relatable when you watch those slam sessions with people. Yeah. You're right. It's more about are you socially acceptable? Yeah. I mean, friendly does summarise it to a term, but it doesn't. To an extent. To an extent, but it. I don't think it's a good holistic term like you were saying. So if me and you were at a bar, yep. we finish work for the day, we're sitting there having a wind down, we're chatting, and some dude just comes up, puts his beer on the table and is like, what are you up to, fellas? And we're like, oh, we just finished work, mate, just trying to have a conversation. We're as polite as need be, yep. but he just keeps pushing it and he's in our face. We later would not describe that guy as friendly. No, we'd say he's ignorant. He's annoying is yeah. what we'd say, Yeah, right? We'd be like, fucking hell, that dude. And he might have the best intentions. He might yeah. have just been like, I really enjoy the company of people. I'm here by myself and I want to hang out with you two guys. But for the most part, if we're not interested in that interaction, we would never describe him as friendly. Despite him thinking that he is, it would be that he was fucking annoying. You just describe what most women on the planet go through on a regular basis. I'm sure they do. <laughs> and good-looking men. I won't have you be sexist on our show. Sir. Okay, th- for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like Alexandria's comment herself on her own post. I pee on them and bite their ear so they know I'm alpha. Oh, that's amazing. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had anyone actually say that? Remnants of it. Yeah. I haven't heard them say all of that, that I pee on them and bite their ear. Yeah. I have heard people say you've got to bite their ear to establish dominance. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I've had people that say piss on the dog or spit in its food or some remarkable comment like that, which mm. we have talked about in days gone by. Mm. What fascinates me is not that people said it in the past, but they maintain it to this day. Yeah, that's this- That's the thing where I really am concerned about is that with all of the knowledge with all of the data that not only will the same person still maintain that thread, but their people will say it or other people unrelated to them will still say it. And I think, where does that even come from? Mm. My issue with that is that 
a lot of people, you know, with the pack theory and dominant stuff, mm. as a lot of the studies that establish that are being debunked, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was on a captive pack of wolves and, you know, like they were not all the same. Like there's all the reasons why the initial study on pack theory is being He was debunked. the original guy who came up with the dominance theory yeah. from wolf packs. Yeah. So mm. the problem I have with that is that while I agree that dominance theory has very little to offer us in regards to actually training dogs to do stuff, mm. it's not that it doesn't exist. That's the issue. And mm. so in parts of the dog training community, when you say, well, as a dominant dog, people are like, that's ridiculous. That's been debunked. There's no such yeah, thing as dominance. And it's like, no, there's fucking dominance. Let yeah, me tell absolutely you. Absolutely there is. Right? Like, yeah. And dogs exist in a pack and that pack will have a very fucking rigid hierarchy. And, and you put a new dog in, the hierarchy gets reshuffled. You take mm -hmm. one dog out, the hierarchy gets reshuffled. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't understand is that it's not linear. Like dog, for it happens sure. in business. Like if exactly. somebody exits a, a high-ranking position, there's a fucking vacuum yeah. that needs to be sorted but, but out. Even, but just because, say, like if you've got, doesn't matter what species it is, if you've got a pack and you can label everyone, everyone kind of knows their position one through five. If you take out number two, that doesn't mean that number three becomes number two and everybody nope. moves up one. Everything is viable to be reshuffled because exactly right. maybe number one is only number one because he has the support of number two, Yep. right? Exactly so like right. everything is available for reshuffle and that exists with dogs as well. You put a new dog into the pack that can really fuck things up, you know, yep. like, and, and especially when you don't have a truly dominant dog. I think that's one of the scariest things is when you have a group of dogs and one of them actually isn't dominant mm. or, or there isn't a dominant one amongst them because then it's a constant kind of shuffle because it's like neither of them real or none of them really want to be the leader. And so there's always this kind of power vacuum over like each resource is a new opportunity to establish a, the, the hierarchy and the dominance as it's presented mm. rather than when you have a really strong, powerful dog that leads the pack, then it's never in question. He keeps things in, in check or he or she, very often she, because a lot of the time it's female dogs that I see anyway that are more dominant. Mm. So dominance for sure exists. Pack theory is 100% legit. You can observe it. But the role that it plays in training a dog is limited. And now in managing and living with and understanding dogs, it's super important to understand that. Yep. But peeing on the dog, biting its ear, alpha rolling it, all that kind of shit, the utility of that is nil, right? And the problem with it, again, you know, the problem with people when you say, oh, look, let's not alpha roll this dog. Like that's not something we need to do. They'll be like, but I've done it with other dogs and it works. And then you got to be like, Yep. It could, <laughs> like in certain cases that totally could achieve what you want to achieve, but the experience of the dog is going to be terrible. And also maybe it's going to go really badly and it's going to damage your fucking relationship with the dog is completely unnecessary. So that, that's one of the things that I really struggle with in the industry at the moment is I for sure don't want to be defending the people that are saying, bite him on the ear, spit in his food, all of that kind of shit. But then I also am not in the camp of dominance doesn't exist. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. But just let's think on that for a minute. Could you imagine telling somebody, like let's say, for example, with the rescue scene being as, as popular as it is, could you imagine telling somebody who just got a rescue dog home to bite the dog on the ear to oh establish dominance? <laughs> I mean, how many people are going to be in surgery that night? And the problem is the dogs that that works on, because it does, mm. 
it was totally unnecessary for that dog. Yes, it, it didn't need to happen. <laughs> if it was, so the dog just got bitten on the ear for yeah, no reason. Dog would be like, holy fuck, well, Jesus Christ, I'm me. scared of you. I better just do everything yeah. that you say. Because that same personality trait is when you go, hey, would you like a treat, friend? <laughs> the dog would be like, oh, amazing. You're clearly in charge. You control the resources. I can proudly say in my entire life, with the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs that have been through my hand and in the kennels and so forth and my own dogs, I've never bitten a dog on the ear. <laughs> never. I defied a lot of those old wives' tales in the early days. In fact, Michael Ellis and I were talking about the other day. Like, Harley, everyone said to me, do not have your dog in the bedroom. Do not let your dog sleep on your bed. Do mm. not. He was in the bedroom, on my bed, since he was a puppy until yeah, yeah. literally the day he died. Everything that people told me not to do, I did it with him. You know, like I'd feed him at the table. He'd run in the doors in front of me in the first place. I didn't give a fuck about any of that because it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't see the conflict in it. There just wasn't any. Yeah. And I thought, why create something when there isn't something there? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the way I felt about it. I was probably at my most pragmatic and deep thinking states that I was going through at that time because I was really invested in the craft and I really wanted to know about it, but I was questioning everything. And I yeah. just thought, why does this narrative exist? Well, because there are dogs and there are dog handler combos yeah. where that's very necessary. I, I agree with that. Yeah. And and I think case by case. Yeah. Certainly case by case where if you're on a bed and, you know, like you shift and a dog is growling and threatening you and the dog has that sort of relationship. I agree. The dog shouldn't be on the bed. And there have been situations, and I certainly haven't discounted that or, you know, not included that in my argument because there have been cases as a trainer who's gone around to to investigate behaviour where I've said, yeah, this dog can't be in your bedroom Mm. or this dog can't be around your children or it can't be with this dog or whatever it is. Case by case example, I've looked at it and thought the worst thing you could do would be to continue doing this behavior because you're just going to keep getting the same behavior or it's going to manifest into something worse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We did it. We agree. Here we go. I like this one. The sound of vomit. Oh, yeah. Nothing motivates you to move like (laughs) grease lightning. Like you can be in the deepest sleep and if you hear that guttural, they used to call it the Urka Gurka. Yeah. Because that's the sound. I've always called it calling dinosaurs. Calling dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) The dinosaur call. It's kind of like, yeah. Yeah. and it well, makes that, that horrible. That was good. You, yeah. you really well, did a good mate, I've had plenty of experience with it, <laughs> let me tell you. But when you hear that noise at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can be in the deepest of deepest sleep. You know what? That should be a fire alarm. That would get <laughs> people out of bed in no way. time at all. Like if you hear that noise going off in your house, yeah. I can hear the, the beep, 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 beep noise. Some, well, I don't even hear it. Yeah, yeah. Narelle said to me the other day, did you get woken up by the fire alarm? I said, no. Nah. She goes, oh, I was going mad. I can't believe you didn't hear it. I slept through the entire thing. Yeah, right. But it was a dog vomit sound. Oh, Mate, yeah, I believe like, me, I'd be out of bed in seconds. Yeah, that's a conditioned response. Yep. Here we go. Here's one. I took him to puppy class so he knows everything. Oh, yeah. That's probably going to be in there along the lines anyway where I've done puppy class myself so I'm basically a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that falls along the same sort of category. Yeah. People have actually said that before. Like yeah. I don't really need to do anything else. I've taken him puppy class. And I said, yeah, I can see that you've got exemplary behavior with your dog. Yeah. Mm. We've waffled. We're only a few in and we're all, we're basically out of time. Yeah. I think this could be our last one because it's definitely worth discussing. From Laurie Jane says, it's all in how you raise them. Oh. And then I there's think, one underneath where Alexandria has said genetics don't matter. Yeah. Mm. But so like I think as a dog trainer, that is one of the more dangerous things that we hear. Yes. Is it's all in how you raise them. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that is very much in the public zeitgeist mm-hmm. and is 
just completely not true and dangerously not true. Yep. I've certainly had experiences that, especially we hear this mostly in the sort of blockhead kind of communities. You yes. Know? It's because, wishful thinking. That's the problem. Yeah. And I think you do get people who have particular bloodlines of blockhead dogs, bullies of various kinds that, yep. that breed them with purpose and intention that just don't have any of the dog aggression issues because they've, you know, they're breeding them properly and yep. they don't want that trait. They bred away from it. Yeah. Mm. And that probably comes at a cost, you know, that probably comes like the, you know, I think that's one of the things that I find myself sort of, it's why I don't own a pity. I love them. They're yep. my favorite dog. I love the personalities of them and in a vacuum, that's the dog I would own. But the kind of dog that I like is dog aggressive and I don't like dog aggression. And when you find one that doesn't have the dog aggression, I feel like, and I'm no expert in pity, so like I'm happy to be schooled on this, but I think that comes at a cost because then it's not what you wanted. So for me, I like the gameness. I like the power. I like the intensity. I like the social <laughs> relationship. But there's many things I like the bodies. There's many things I like about pities, but I, I don't want a dog aggressive dog. And if I were to put my hands on a pity that has all the traits that I want, but not the dog aggression, then I feel like something has to give there because mm. that what makes it dog aggressive is very likely attached to the other traits that I do like. And so, you know, it's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be that. And so, and not like off tap dog aggressive, but it's meant to have big feelings about other dogs. That's just how they are. Yeah, that's right. And so that's one of the things that always terrifies me when people find themselves with a blockhead dog and they're like, no, it's all in how you raise them. And it's like, it's not. I promise you it's not. Considering Scott and Fuller have been saying that way back when, yeah. you know, in the book Genetics and the Social Behaviour of Dogs, yeah. they were establishing the whole nature-nurture yeah. concept and how important it is to recognise each as a trait. Like you can't stop genetics from being what they are. Mm -hmm. And, yes, the nurturing and raising side will certainly have an impact on what your dog becomes of then, how how much fulfilment the dog will actually have into, yeah. you know, like its genetic bandwidth and yeah. its social behaviours and so forth. There was a great meme on that which reminds me of that cheeky bastard who was talking about how I always lead into my movie phrases, which was actually <laughs> hilarious. That, that was funny. That, that actually really made me laugh because I thought to myself, I actually do do that a lot. Uh, <laughs> but there was a meme Instead of movies, I'm going to go into memes. There was a meme where there was like a Jason from Friday the 13th with the hockey mask trying to hunt someone in a, oh, yeah. in a house and it had a knife and it's like a cartoon and somebody's hiding behind a wall. The Jason character calls out, it's not how you raise them. And then the person behind the wall goes, well, <laughs> and I thought yeah. that is fucking hilarious because yeah. the amount of fights I've seen take place on the internet, people have literally talked for decades on that entire topic itself. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm being rude to you here looking at my computer, but I'm trying to find the original source of a quote, and that is that parents matter, mm -hmm. but they don't make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the most poignant sayings on genetics yep. is that, yes, you can steer the ship, but it's going where it's got to go, Yeah, right? Like you have a very limited capacity. You can train a dog to do stuff mm. and it's the same as a person. Like you can manipulate behaviours, but the core essence. The chassis is the chassis. Yeah, that's mm. put in it. But I better find the original source of this because if I don't, I, feel, I will feel bad. Okay, then, you've got to give credit to the author. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's being attributed to tons of people online here, so I don't know who the original source is. But. It's the truth. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I believe that entirely. Of You can even see the traits of genetics when you look at a lineage of people like, you know, from grandparents to parents and then their mm -hmm. offspring. 
you can see the carryover and you can all, that's why people say, oh, you're so much like your father. Yeah. Well, there's a good reason for that yeah. because, you I'm know, like I'm here. 50% of his genes. <laughs> and people used to say that to me all the time. They go, geez, you're so, I didn't know my father very well, but people would say to me, geez, Glenn, you are so much like your father. Yeah. And I thought, that's nice. I don't know the guy really well, but I guess I am because I'm 50% him. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think as dog trainers, we hear that all the time. It's all in how you raise them. It is one of the things that is a dangerous thing because certainly I've had that conversation with people when they're, you know, looking for a particular type of breed and you're like, Hey, that's going to come with certain traits. And they're like, no, it's not. It's all in how you raise them. And it's like, what I usually do is because aggression stuff can be a little hard to handle. There's that video that, you know, circulates all the time of those pointer puppies. Mm. You seen that? No. Oh, mate, it's incredible. I'll post it somewhere. I'll show you after of it's a bunch of pointer puppies and they just got like a flirt pole and they're just moving the flirt pole and they're, you know, maybe six weeks old yeah. and they're all locked. Oh, they're pointing on pointing it? Pointing on it. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like as No, the I whole, have seen it. Yeah, you've I seen the whole seen litter. It, yes. It's incredible to watch. Yep. And it, that's what I usually show people because showing them a, a litter of little blockhead dogs trying to kill each other is, you know, not helpful usually. But when you show them those pointers and you go, hey, no one taught these dogs how to do that. That is mother nature tells them that's I, what's going to happen. I saw something very similar online the other day. And again, it was a student conversation I had when we were talking about exactly this type of concept where it was a bunch of baby cobras that hatched out of eggs and immediately they hooded up and became defensive mm-hmm. when humans stood near them. Who taught them how to do that? Yeah, exactly. Like they literally cracked out of the egg and that was the first behaviour they did. Yeah. Where'd that come from? Mother nature. Mother nature. Yeah. Yeah. She's a cruel beast. Well, she's Sometimes. A, she's an equaliser. Well, she is what she is. That's yeah, the thing. she is what she is. And the, the one thing about mother nature as opposed to most human traits is mother nature tries to even everything out. Mm. Hey, this was fun. It was. We should do more of this. Maybe we can do a part two on this. Yeah. Well, I would love to keep going, but we have somewhere to be. We do. So we've got we meetings and we've got training. Yeah. Mm. And that's it. For another episode. Of the Canon Paradigm. Look at that. We're finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because this is the 260th something time we've I know. Hey, if you like the show, just fucking do something about it. Mm-hmm. Get on the- what should, what should they do? Like, rate, share, subscribe. Do all of that. The main thing, the main thing, just tell a friend, but IRL. That's what people- IRL. In real life. Right. Yeah, right. like mm. never underestimate the power of in real life stuff. Yeah, that's, I agree. That's where, that's where life's really happening, mm. not on the line. Isn't it nice when you see in real life stuff, like people oh, collaborating and- It's the best. You know, like we just had that lovely seminar with Michael, over 100 dog trainers, mm. all sitting there, and you couldn't hear a pin drop in the room. Yeah. People I, were captivated. But the other thing that I really like- it wasn't just Michael. It was during the breaks, watching people sitting out on the oval in the sun, yep, enjoying the enjoying the company of each other, seeing old friends. Oh, it was so nice. Yeah, seeing people again that I haven't seen for ages, like good conversations. I mean, for me, it's a work day, so I've got to run around yeah, being yeah. busy and stuff like that. But still, nonetheless, I took Mando out. I got to hang out with him and hang out with people and get to talk with them. And it was lovely. It was great. I'm involved so, actually in a project at the moment. You know, one of the things of COVID was, you know, work from home. Yeah. And a lot of people proved that they were competent in yes. doing that. And now they work from home and there's loads of benefits in doing that. No commute, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the things, make your own hours as long as you're productive, all of that. Yep. But I'm involved in a project for a big corporate thing currently because there's a lot of things that come of collaboration. Mm. 
you know, you can never really collaborate in a Zoom meeting anywhere near as well as you can when you're sitting around a whiteboard together. Yep. Like there's some magic to that in real life where you're actually sitting there and you can vibe and you can Brainstorm. You know, connect in a way that mm. is just impossible to do over Zoom. Like we're all getting pretty good at that shit, right? We're all getting pretty good at having conversations and connecting with people who aren't really there. People are probably doing that with us right now, but there's some magic that happens about being actually in the same space. And I don't want to get too ethereal, but I will like connecting at the same frequency, mm. you know, and actually sort of being in something with someone. So tell them about our fucking show. Do Not you know, post, I mean, post about it, but tell them in real life. I have an educational point on that. Oh, go for it. I did a lot of research on it a while ago because I was getting involved in heart wave variances. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of research that's going on about this at the moment, but when you synchronize to somebody, they believe that we have our own Wi-Fi, that when you're in the room with somebody, you can actually synchronize heart rates with somebody. And that's why they say you're on the same wavelength as mm -hmm. them because your heart rate synchronizes with the other person's because your heart is beating and sending out a signal mm -hmm. and my heart is beating and sending out a signal. And if we are compatible with each other, or like each other or friendly with each other, our heart wave variances mm -hmm. can simulate each other. And especially for people falling in love, mm -hmm. their hearts can beat. How dare you, sir? My good friend, Skinner, mm -hmm. told us that love is just two people exchanging positive reinforcement back and forth until they are endeared to each other to the point where they would describe that as love. How dare you? Well, I think- How Edward, dare you imply that there's I, more going on? I, I think Uncle Buford Frederick Skinner. Is that really? Was, yeah, Buford. Yeah, <laughs> no so. wonder it says BF. Yeah, I think that's why they probably thought, nah, let's just get rid of that. <laughs> I think Uncle BF, mm -hmm. when he was talking about that, that was a science of then. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many things that have changed with- imagery and, you know, like what we actually know. About I would refute that. This is a different conversation, but I would refute that that was a science of that. I think that there's texts describing love from 2000 years ago that do a really good job of it. Mm. You know what I mean? Explaining that love is something felt deep within. And that is the connecting of frequencies that rather than just the well, exchanging of pleasantries. There have been there, ancient indigenous races that, exactly. you know, like that's the reason why they have those fireside chats and exactly. they dance together and all yeah. those sort of things is because there's something powerful in that. And you and I have experienced this before. Totally. Together and separately and I've been involved in things where, you know, like the power of the room, like you think, oof, yeah. there is something to that. So I agree in real life. Get amazing. together. Yes. Put on together. the podcast yep. out of your boombox. Yep. Everybody listen together. Yep. Wait, get your heart speaking <laughs> okay. as one. All right. Support the show, guys. Do, yeah. Other than telling people, you could support us financially. Just get on the online and dump a shitload of Bitcoin into our Patreon. Bitcoin? Yeah. Can you, can you div? No, Bitcoin? I don't think you can. No, just cash. Hot, cash. wet, stinky cash. Yep. Daddy needs In your some, sweaty hand. Daddy needs yep. those Apple Vision. Just go into the bank with, and they'll probably say, what's that? When you walk in with cash, I'll go, oh, God. Yeah. Come on, Patreon babies. Daddy needs the Apple Vision. <laughs> I need it. As soon as it comes out, I want it. Yeah. I want it so badly. Even nice. if it's crap, I need it. Yeah. I don't think it'd be crap. I think they're going to put some. It's going to be amazing. Like, I think it's going to be. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. When we get them, even if we have to buy them ourselves. Yep. I'm going to sit here. And, and we're we'll going to do a podcast with them on. And we'll look at each other with our artificial eyes. <laughs> yeah, we'll, look at, we'll look at the video of each other through the screen uh, while we're a metre apart. Amazing. Yep. So do that. 
Yep. Or buy some merch. Yes. If you want something back other than our information that we give you, if you want a physical item, mm-hmm. just buy an overpriced T-shirt. Yep. We have those. We've got those on spring. Yeah. Get one. We get, what do we get, like six bucks or something every time? Something yeah, like we get a very, very small percentage. Yeah. But it, as you said, the spreading nice thing. Word. You're spreading the word. The nice thing is, is again, there were people wearing a TCP T-shirt at the seminar. So thank you. It was nice to see. I really appreciate it. And thank you to Adam Skeen who bought me a Cameron Ford T-shirt. Oh, there you go. He just felt that I needed one, so he there bought one for me. Thanks, nice. Skeeny. I used uh, to call him Skyny. Skyny. I didn't know his name was Skeen, and okay. I used to call him Skyny. And I went to his workplace. Someone said, Skeeny. And I said, is your name Skeen? And he goes, yeah, but I just didn't have the heart to tell you. Chicken. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> Fuck you, <Adam. laughs> Have you ever had someone call you the wrong name and he didn't correct them and then it went too long and then that's just your name with them forever? Yes, <laughs> I have. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. All right. If you want to get in contact with us, jump into the Facebook discussion group. That is where you can group source information, mm. lots of cool shit happening in there. Yep, yep. We draw a lot of inspiration for the show from there. We Have do. a chat, do whatever you like. Mm. Or if you want to get in contact with us directly, shoot us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs>